Father, we just come to you this morning. It's 2,000 years ago when your disciples, almost everyone, left you. Peter made a confession, Lord. You asked your twelve, will you also go away? Peter said, to whom can we go? For you alone have the words of life. This morning we have come together as a people. For knowledge, for wisdom, for understanding. But above all, for life. You came to give us life. And your words are life and spirit. Help us first to hear. Give us hearing ears first, Lord. Give us understanding in our minds that we may understand not what I am saying, but what you are saying to us. Help us a heart, give us a heart to believe what we hear and understand. Above all, help us to exercise our will to obey. For you said, if you are willing and obedient, shall eat the best of the land, the best of life, Christ came to give us life that overcomes. Help us to receive a portion of that even today, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we begin with the primary text from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, we do not know, that's for God to judge we can only judge from our understanding. Probably the greatest apostle that ever lived. Because personally, I don't think after Christ, I don't think there has been any other person who has been more influential in Christendom and even the secular world than this one man. One man. The apostle Paul. This one man who remained faithful to that message. Faithful to the very end to what God called him. The message God gave him, his entire life revolved around that message. When as a young man, the Bible says he was a young man. On the road to Damascus, when Jesus met him. In that portion, if you read, you won't see what exactly Christ spoke to him. But in the 
portion years and years and years later when he stands before King Agrippa and he testifies again about his first vision of Jesus Christ, he will speak to King Agrippa and this is his, his recollecting his experience on the Damascus road. And all of us, I'm telling you, we need to have a Damascus road experience. Honestly, we need to have one experience in our life. Ask God. I'm not saying scripture alone is not enough. There is this scripture and there is this person the scripture talks about. Person. March 18th, 1994 was my Damascus road. And after that, nothing could change. Okay. He says, he heard this voice. He asked, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. God says, I don't, I don't just appear to people so that you can have a nice sensational feeling. He says, no. Now we will say, Lord, open my eyes. I want to see you. God says, really? Really? Do you know in scripture to the people who heard from me or I appeared, what happened to them? Life was never, ever the same again. Changed. For this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness. Not just a minister, but also witness. Both of the things which you have seen and of, of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I sent you. Straight away he told him, you're going to be in big trouble, young man. I'm telling you. But don't worry, I will deliver you. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. Okay. That we see in the book of Acts. The second letter to Timothy is written years and years after that at the end of his life. At the end of his life he will confess I finished my race and I have remained faithful to my last to that wish to that wish. So if you ask Apostle Paul the reason for his faith his hope and his, let's put it within quotes, success, not as the world sees, but as God sees. If you go through all his epistles, all 13, one set of theology and say 13 epistles, or 14 if you add the letter of Hebrews also. If you go through all his letters, and if you want to zero down to one verse, and in that verse, one thing he says what is the secret of your success as a minister of the gospel? You will find because I know whom I have believed. I know whom I, not what I have believed. I know whom I have believed. It's not the scriptures of God, Paul is saying. It is the God of the scriptures. I know whom I have believed. That is the central that held him together. And that is to what Christ wants to bring everyone. Not just Apostle Paul. Everyone here. 
everyone who hears over the weeks, days, through the net. Everyone. That we might know him. We might know him. This is what he's saying at the end. You have to read, understand if you read these letters, the background of this epistle. Why God used this man more than anybody else? Because Paul, more than anybody else, in scripture I'm talking about, where we have, we have history, reflects the two unavoidable realities that comes from following Jesus. You cannot, if you truly follow Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, there are two realities you cannot avoid. It will follow you every day of your life till you die. You will be faced with this all your life. With this tension. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 34 and 36, I'll come to you what these two are now about. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Okay. So first, understand when Jesus comes into the world the first time, he does not bring peace. Doesn't bring peace. He says, I have come with a sword. What does a sword do? It divides. When you would say it cuts, it divides. I have come to set a man against his father. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He said, I have come to divide the most sacred of relationships. Husband and wife, parents and children, in-laws, whatever you want to name it. He says the sword will go through it all. Following Christ will divide even the most hallowed institutions in human history. That of marriage and family. Jesus never said family triumphs over all. He said no. Christ triumphs. God triumphs over all. The call of Christ is the call of heart, of loyalties. In Luke 14 verses 26 and 27 he will say, if Anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot. It's a very strong word. God is not saying he will not or should not, maybe not. It is it's impossible. Can be a follower. You cannot be a disciple. It's, it's impossible. He says, it is not impossible. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. First unavoidable reality of following Jesus, he puts a sword right into your heart where all your affections are stored. Right? You grow up 
And you have this circle in which you grow up, starting with father and mother, siblings, extended family, friends. He comes in and puts a sword in there first. Puts that into a heart, into a home, into a household, into a nation, and even the whole world. Into the whole world. Only Jesus. One name, one way. The Hindu won't tell you that. That you can pick your way, pick your God. Even the Muslim won't say. He will say, Muhammad is the last prophet, but he will not say, Muhammad is the only way. He won't say that. Because there is no salvation in the name of Muhammad. He will never say that. The Buddhist won't say that. The Jain won't say that. No religious person of any other religion will say that. Only the believer knows once he has encountered Jesus, you will know there is no other name. There is no other way. No other way. So the name of Jesus, the authentic name of Jesus, when you become a minister of that gospel, that authentic experience of Jesus divides everything. Starting with your heart, your family, to your household, to your nation, to the world, everything is divided into two. That's tension. Unavoidable reality of following Jesus. Then Jesus gives another commandment. What is that? He says, a new commandment I give you in John 13. A new commandment. It's a new Meaning, he said, this is not there in the Old Testament, he's saying. I give you a new commandment. What is this law and the prophets? The lawyer answered very well. Love your God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Love your neighbor as? But then they asked this question, who is my neighbor? Because what does the law teaches you? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a? Jesus comes and says, I give to you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what does he say? First he brings into the one who believes into his heart a division into every relationship on earth. Then he turns around and says, my disciples, you my disciples, are under obligation to love everyone on earth. What tension? How do you live with this tension all your life? One, when it comes to me, hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, everybody else. And then he says, now love everybody else. That's why he tells his disciple, you just can't do this. Wait until you receive power. It's not possible. Humanly speaking, impossible. Divinely speaking, all things are possible to whom he believes. This is the contradiction. Every true child of God has to live it. 
division through life and enduring love. The disciple has to go through this tension. No, one side you are being divided, 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 divided. The sword divides you. The other side you are also asked to love, to love, love, love. You know this musical instrument sitting over here. You see that drum. You see that guitar. You know why you can get music out of it? Because there is tension. Take the loosen one end of these strings. There will be no music. So we look at tension and say, it is impossible Lord to live like that. God says, if you trust me, there will be music. There will be music. Lord, how can anybody live like that? God says, nobody can, but I can through you. Look at the tension he calls us to. Be separated from the world. And go right into the world. Lord, how can anybody live like that? Go through scripture and you will suddenly realize everything God asks, there is tension in it. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, warning him, advising him, exhorting him, encouraging him, the reality of following Christ. This is Paul's letter to Timothy. If you remember, if you know your scripture, when the church begins in the first almost hundred years, there were no denominations. And the apostles frowned on denominations. They didn't like denominations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12 and 13, now I said this, that each of you say, I am a Paul. I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Is you can? How can you divide Christ? Cannot divide Christ. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says the only way a church can be divided is if you are baptized in another name other than Jesus Christ, and somebody else died for you. He says we are all ministers of the same gospel. Church cannot be divided. Okay. So, in the first century, there was only a collection of congregations. Collection of congregations. And the largest group was washed, what you know in scripture is called Asia Minor. It's called Asia Minor because of the Roman age mostly spreading across Turkey and all. And this man, the greatest apostle who started practically all the churches in that area, he is telling Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, This you know that all in Asia have turned away from me. They have all turned away from me. The tension of being a witness of the gospel. Timothy, I am telling you, everybody has turned away. The entire church or churches in Asia, have turned away. En masse turned away. Turned away from Paul. He's in prison when he's writing this in Rome. Two letters are smuggled out. 
I don't think even the Romans bothered about the letters that was going out. You see, they don't know the power of these letters, what it will do in this, in their own country and subsequent centuries to every country. Ah, take it. What theologians say is the letter was smuggled out of the prison from Italy, that's where Rome is, to Greece, by sea, by land, finally reached Ephesus to Timothy. Okay, so you have first Timothy and second Timothy. If you were there yesterday, I told you, 13 or 14 epistles of Apostle Paul, but these two and Titus are not letters written to the church. They are not letters written to the church. These are letters written by a true spiritual father to his true spiritual son. It is a personal little letter written by a father to a son which God says, scripture. Become scripture. These letters are the sum total essence of Paul's experience as a pastor, as a spiritual father. It's all summed up. Like we say, you know, we take it and make it into juice and take it out. That's it. Whenever young men or women all these years have come, including my own nephew, when he came and said, Uncle, I'm going into ministry. First time when he came and said, what do you have to tell me? I said, go read First Timothy, Second Timothy and come back to me. Because anybody who wants to go into ministry should know First Timothy and Second Timothy. What is ministry like? And how you need to be prepared if you are going into ministry. Two letters from a father to a son. In First Timothy chapter 1 verse 2 to Timothy, a true son in the faith. True son. There are many sons and there are few true sons. Second Timothy 1, 2 to Timothy, a beloved son. So who is Timothy to Paul? Is this his real son? No. He is, he's a bachelor. He had no sons. But he says, a true beloved son. Like I said yesterday, there are many kinds of sons in the Bible. Including prodigal sons, elder sons. Right? All kinds of sons are there. But here is a true beloved son. A true beloved son is the son to whom a father can speak, knowing that he will obey. Who will take correction, who will take a reproof. Not only take it, will keep it. That's why he's saying, Paul will say in one of his letters, you may have 10,000 teachers, but you have few fathers. I birthed you in Christ. Entire congregations were birthed by Paul. But he said, I have very true sons in these tens and thousands I have birthed. And to you, my Timothy, my true son in faith, here is my last letter. I was telling the pastors, Pastor Vijay has an issue. Kring, he calls me. I have an issue. I call somebody else. I call him. Eric has this thing he calls. Pastor Ruben calls. Everybody calls each other, calls each other. In his entire lifetime of mentorship, Timothy got two letters. Two letters. That two letters have been on which 
churches and ministries have been founded for 2,000 years. These two letters. Written by a spiritual father to his spiritual son. So he says, God's ways, who can understand? Who can understand? Think back 2,000 years. Almost the entire church established by him has turned their backs on him. Yet, God will use these two letters to preserve doctrine. Paul stood alone with a few faithful men. One of them was Timothy. Timothy, by the way, was very young and very timid. That's why the exhortation in 2 Timothy 1.7, what does it say? God has not given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. He says, Timothy, I know you well. You may be a thousand miles away, but I know you well. You are a darbuk. <laughs> Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy, don't get intimidated and fooled by all these new preachers who have taken the crowds away. Timothy, all of Asia has turned away. And I know you are right there where the multitudes have turned away to false preachers, false teachers, to the crowds who are coming with signs and wonders. Timothy, stand firm. If you have to stand, Timothy, stand alone. Stand. Don't get fooled, Timothy. Don't get fooled. In verse 13 and 14, he will say, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I heard from Christ. You heard from me. Hold on to my words, what you have taught. Don't change. All kind of new things will come with accompanied signs. Stand on doctrine, in love, in faith. The good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Don't, Timothy, change the message because life is in the message. If you change the message, living people will die. Don't change the message. I think to a young man, remember each of these verses are a sermon in itself, but that's not what we are looking at. When Paul says, all of Asia has deserted me, that also means they had also deserted the doctrine of Christ he had taught them. God had established through him. The first day's church, at the end of the first age, was facing exactly what we face today. Large scale desertion from true doctrine. And all the epistles are a warning against them. All the epistles were written. Warning, warning, warning the people. Listen to Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Peter is saying, okay, 
Only two letters from me. You got 13 from him. Stick to what he says. There will be a lot of unscrupulous characters who will come. What will they say? As also in his epistles speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scriptures. You see false prophets and false apostles and false teachers come with the same scriptures but they twist them. They don't come with another Bible. They don't come with another word. They come with the same word and they twist it. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall away from your steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be Him the glory for now and for ever. Apostle John will tell the same thing in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. So what is he talking about? Testing the demons? It's talking about the prophets and the teachers and the apostles who are coming and preaching. Test them. Test them. Check everything in the light of scripture. Test the spirit with which they are speaking. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jude, last but final letter in the Bible will warn us. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend, meaning fight, struggle, earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Here, faith means doctrine. So that is his constant call in the Bible from all the apostles at the end. Fight, fight, fight for what you know is true. Hang, not fight with others, fight with yourself. That you don't fall into the error of doctrine and be carried away by those who have big crowds and new, new, new revelations they are talking about which test everything with scripture. Don't go by the, the crowd mentality. So how do you stay true? What is the secret that we learn from this great apostle? How did it stay true till the end? That's what Paul says. I know whom I have believed. What's the secret? Get to know in whom you have believed. Paul knows the God he believes in. And his entire life, even as he went through half the ancient world preaching, his personal pursuit was to know Christ. See, we have two things which we do. All of you do. Like you are. First row, all our students. So what are you doing? You are studying. From morning till evening, six days a week, you are studying. That is the work you do. That is the kind of work Paul also did. He was traveling, preaching, traveling, preaching, traveling, preaching, traveling, preaching. Then there is something else you do outside of your work. That's what Paul is talking about. Outside of my ministry, there was something which I did that was forever trying to know God. In Philippians, you will say, that's what I want. I want to know you more and more. It doesn't matter what it will cost me. I am willing to pay the price to know you. Sometimes we get so fascinated by our work, excellent work, wonderful work, good work, not bad works I'm talking about. 
especially if it is ministry. But in that pursuit of our work, we forget to pursue the one who called us to work. That's what keeps you till the end. What keeps you faithful till the end, not to your work, but to the person, is the knowledge of that person. And you get to know him more and more and more because he's willing to reveal himself and give his spirit without measure. Paul knows the God, he believes in. I know whom I have believed. We know about God. That's how Paul also began in the beginning. We all begin with the knowledge of God. Some, even if you never came to church, everybody will say, why? Because you look at all of creation and you know there is a God. That's what scripture says. All of creation declares the works of God. So everybody knows something about God. Knowledge might be very limited, but everybody knows something about God. Even the fellow who doesn't says, even the fellow who says there is no God cannot explain why there is no God. Then God made himself known through his servants, the prophets, especially starting with Moses. You will say, Moses, yeah, Moses wrote the first five books, so Moses. Okay, so you have the first five books. Okay, so if you get this, you open this, the first page, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you stop there. Think, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. So God was there before the beginning. So God is there before the beginning. He created the heavens and the earth. All of us, you are very good in science. In the heavens, how many stars are there? How many? How many planets? Billions. We have no clue. But say heavens, all of them in one line. What is that? Heavens and? And after that, what is written? And earth. So God says, I created it all, but my eye is on earth. A lot of people will send this WhatsApp messages. Oh, earth is only a speck in this Milky Way. You are only a speck in the Milky Way. God says, maybe true scientifically, but not spiritually. My eye is on planet earth because you are special to me. I made you in my image. I made you in my image. Don't look at everything scientifically. Look at it spiritually, what it is talking about. That's how he has spoken through his prophets. Then you know the history of Israel, especially if you read the book of Kings and all, you will see there were schools of prophets. Elijah and Elisha are all training prophets. What is their job? To go to every village in Israel and teach about God. Who God is. Then Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Then he spoke through his son. Spoke through his son. That's the actual representation of who the father is because only one came from the father, that is the son. Then he sent the apostles, Hebrews 2, 
verses 1 to 4. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For the words spoken through angels proved steadfast. Angels spoke to the prophets. The prophets spoke to men. Every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. And then, how shall we escape if we neglect a so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various. So he says he has spoken through the Son and he has spoken through the apostles. Then he gave us this book. Then in Revelation, the last chapter, verses 18 to 20, scripture says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of prophecies of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things say, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And God says, It's been sealed. Anybody, everybody who has to preach, has to preach from this text and not from the book of Enoch. Or from astrology. Many, many churches as the next two weeks will start preaching on September 21 and the sign of the woman. That is astrology. Revelation. From far away places I got even WhatsApp voice messages. Pastor, could you please explain Revelation 12, the sign of the woman. Because on September 21st the stars are coming all together where it looks like the woman carrying the baby. I said that's astrology. This is scripture. We don't bring them together. We don't. Do you hear anybody talking about blood moons anymore? Whole of last year, every channel, blood moon, blood moon. Instead of talking about the blood of the sun, they were talking about blood moon. Is anybody talking about blood moon anymore? See, stay true to this text. True to this. Power is not in the words of man. Power is in the words of man who says true to this one text God has given us. That's why all this information, knowledge, revelation is about one person. This entire Bible is about one person. That's what scripture says when he rose from the dead, he appeared to these disciples. He opened their eyes so they could have understanding and he showed from the prophets and the law everything. This is all about me. If you come to my house, one of my shelves, one of my books, you will find an old inland. Do you know what an inland is? It is in those ancient days when people used to write letters. Now it is all text, WhatsApp, email. Okay, those days when we used to write inland letters. You will see an old inland, very old one. And if you look at it, you will read it and you will put away, it makes no sense to you. What is it? Hardly anything in it. Is it? But it was written in 1993. In the month of December. In 1994, in the month of January, the person who wrote passed away. That is my father. 
So that letter may make no difference to you, makes a whole lot of difference to me, because it is a lit letter written by a person. You're getting the picture? So you will look at say, ah, what is it? I'll say, put it away, don't touch it. Don't touch it. See, the problem is, we are memorizing scripture without knowing the person. We are reading scripture without knowing the person. If we know the person, we'll go back to what he has written. Because you are not looking for scripture for seven ways to prosper in life, two ways to succeed in my company, three ways to get healed. We are looking for the person of Jesus Christ whom you love. Whom we love. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. I want you to know. I want you to know. This is my last letter, my son, to you. I'm writing one letter to you. I want you to know what moved me all these years. What kept me all these years. So there were many, many years, even in Apostle Paul's life, when he knew about God. He did not know God. He knew about God from the Old Testament. He was very zealous about God. But when we do not know God, and when we only know scripture, and we are very zealous about God, without knowing God, we do terrible things. Like Apostle Paul did as Saul. Why do people do terrible things who know scripture? It's because they know, do not know the God of scripture. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about when you harm others in the name of God. Because you do not know this God. Then on the road to Damascus, do you remember that question? Many of us are still somewhere on the road. We have never asked that question. What is that? As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. And he said, who are you, Lord? It's a very righteous Man, zealous man, serving God. And he says, persecuting you? I don't persecute God. I am for God. Who are you? This man who knew his Torah from Genesis 1 to Malachi 4 by heart did not know the voice that was speaking to him was the voice that had spoken to Torah. Who are you? He knew the entire scripture by heart. That's how Jewish boys are brought up. Whole scripture by heart. But he did not know the voice of the person hidden in that scripture. Who are you? That's how Paul met Jesus. Paul met Jesus. The fact is revealed. If you do not know the Son, you do not know the Father. But if you know the Son, you know the Father. Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? Understand, if you do not know the God of Scripture, you will end up persecuting the same God of Scripture. Then in verse 4, why are you persecuting me? 
he fell to the ground. I'm very, I'm not saying anything. I'm very skeptical about you know, YouTube. You will see nice people, godly looking people, nice. They will come and say, oh, Jesus came and stood beside me and he spoke to me. And I said, really? Okay. Pinch of salt. I go back to scripture. Nowhere in the Bible. Whenever God has spoken, an angel has spoken, they all fall down on their face. Even Apostle John, in the book of Revelation, the one who leaned on Jesus' breast when he saw Jesus in a vision, fell face. If I ever meet these people, I just want to ask them, before he spoke, did you fall down, brother? Because I look into scripture and I see nobody stood. Even Paul, who did not know, fell down. He fell before God. That's how you know God in repentance. You fall before God. Many of us are still standing before God. Because we still haven't fallen before Him. You don't have to worry. God is in complete control. Don't get upset when you hear images on TV from Harvey to Irma. God is in control. God knows exactly what He is doing. Everything, the winds are in his hands. Bible says so. He says, I can make it rain in one city and leave the other city dry. I can have wildfire here and floods there. It's me. I'm in absolute control. So, believers when they see these things should not ask, Lord, why is this happening? They should ask, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? Everything. Including the movements in the earth's plates. No lava moves without God saying, okay, you can move. Earthquake! God says, no. I decided. Everybody is worried about that madman sitting in North Korea. He says, him also under my control. You don't have to worry. I am in charge. You don't worry about all these things. Keep your eyes on me. The question is, with all this happening, do you see nations, people falling on their face? No. You don't see people falling. The calamities that are happening in your own personal lives, has it taken to you on your face before God? Why not? He rose. He was blind. Verse 8, then Saul arose from the ground. And when your eyes were opened, he saw no one. It's interesting, right? Your eyes are open, but you are blind. Three days. Before he met Jesus, he could see. But when he met Jesus, he actually realized... I did not see. Do we have that realization yet? Do we have that realization? The more we know God, do we really understand without God, I don't see? I don't see, actually. I don't know. I don't know. Lord, unless you are my eyes, I don't see. 
That's what it means. The more you grow in Christ, the less you lean on your faculties. Put your trust more in God. Your sight, your ears, your words. Everything, different things. You need to understand scripture. Different things. It does, God doesn't deal. Even when you look into your eyes, Chandana, or your ears or your mouth, God doesn't deal it the same way. He says, salve for the eyes, blood for the ears, and fire for the mouth. Read scripture. God doesn't even deal with the organs on your face in the same way so that you can understand him. He says, blood for the ears, so that you hear what I say. Salve for my eyes, so you can see as I see. Fire on your mouth, so that you will speak as I speak. It's not the same. It's not the same. Consistent in Bible. Consistent. That's why he says, I know whom I have believed. Have we believed? Have we trusted him? Have we put our entire trust? I heard about a missionary who had gone to a remote island trying to learn his language. He's trying to translate. But there is no word for faith. Faith means complete trust. This was a missionary who had taken his hammock with him. You know what a hammock is, right? So where hut, wherever he was staying, he had tied this hammock. And one day, one of the village tribesmen who was teaching him the language came running. He was very tired and he lay on his hammock and he said, Yes, this one can take my whole weight. He said, What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? He said in his language, This can take my whole weight. He said, I got the word for faith. Faith is mean. God can take my whole weight. That's what it means. To trust God. My whole weight, put it on you. My whole life, past, present, future, all my concerns, everything. Faith can handle it. Put it on you, Lord. I believe you, Lord. Irrespective of the consequences. I believe. That's what he meant. I have not been disobedient to that vision, O King Agrippa. I know whom I have believed. What it cost him to believe. What has it cost us to believe? He tells Timothy, Timothy you know. There's nothing you don't know about me, Timothy. You're my son. I've hidden nothing from you. You know what it has cost me. He says, listen, Timothy. Yeah, first, second, Timothy. For this reason, I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. No, no, no. Next verse. Second, Timothy chapter 3, 10 to 12. You have, Timothy, my son, you have carefully followed my doctrine. Manner of life, purpose, faith. That's what I am talking about. For anybody who wants to get into ministry or be a disciple, read this letter word by word. What have you followed? My doctrine, manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which I happened to me at Antioch. Iconium, 
Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Timothy, you know my life. Through it all, who brought me? Christ brought me. I know in whom I have believed. Incredible consequences for believing him. But through it all, he has been faithful. He brought me through it all. Enormous pain, but he brought me out through it all. That's what he's telling. See, we do not know the consequences of obedience. We don't know. What do you want me to do? He'll be told you. We don't know the consequences. Do we know the consequences of our obedience? That comes from trusting God. The greatest statement found in the entire Bible, which somebody makes concerning the consequences and the attitude of a true servant, is made by the three friends of Daniel in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You are asking us, therefore you know us very well. We only worship Yahweh, you know this. But you are asking us, therefore we are answering. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What are they saying? What we should say? Lord, I put my hand on the plow. The consequences are irrelevant. You can put me in the fire. You can save me from the fire. There is no turning back. There is no turning back. Consequences can be anything. But I have chosen the path of obedience. That's the response of true belief. God is true. And his word is true. Therefore he alone is to be worshipped. He alone is to be obeyed. What he does is left to his hands. When Daniel stood up in the mess, royal mess, youth hostel mess as I call it, and drew a line not in sand but in concrete, did he really expect how the outcome would be? Do you know for sure? You are a slave, brought a thousand miles in chains, and you stand before the one who is in charge, the Babylonian eunuch, Please, I don't want to eat meat. But you expect the consequence. What? What did he say? We have Charles Dickens, David Copperfield. Poor fellow went and asked for a second helping. He got one. They called the police and the army. They didn't call, but they said, call the police, call the army. This Oliver Twist has asked for more. This guy is not asking for more, he's asking for less. You have to learn to ask for less. For many, many months I've been praying and asking and this month I said, Lord, please Lord, I don't want more than 100, Lord. I just want 100 pastors, not about numbers, let's cut them down. I just want 100 who are serious. Pastor Vijay, how many came yesterday? 99. And then at the end he said, one more. Not more. 
Disciples can't be more. It's, it's very difficult to get too many disciples. If Jesus himself, after three and a half years of flesh ministry, in the flesh when he walked in the body, got only 11 who could stay till the end. And after 40 days of post-resurrection ministry in his glory, touch me, feel me, coming through the doors and all that, how many did he get? 120 disciples. Crowds, it's not easy. Print pamphlets, put this thing, hire one of those media cards, put your picture, put your wife's picture, put your children's picture also, they will all come. Disciples? Not easy. Paul is writing to a disciple, a true, true disciple. So when Daniel stood up, did he expect the result? No. Result is in God's hands. But your job is to stand. Why I'm saying is when you little children, when you hear these messages, I'm putting it both sides. You say, Pastor said, Lord, I also believe tomorrow I'm going to go to college and I'm going to stand up. Don't expect Favor with your teacher. You are standing up irrespective of the consequences because you know in whom you have believed. When Esther stood up, did she know the result? No. But she know what she believed. In Esther chapter 4 verse 16, go gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan, fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, my maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king which is against the law. If I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. But I know my moment has come to stand up. If I don't stand up, then the very purpose of my life, I will fail. There will be moments in your life if you don't stand up, call will go over you to somebody who will stand up instead of you. Doesn't come in life always. She stood up. Can you imagine the plight of Noah? Everything that he had, he had poured into that construction site called the ark. Why did he do all that? Because he trusted God. What did God say? I am going to judge this whole world with a flood. The heavens will be opened. Poor fellow hasn't seen a rain in his life. That's what scripture says. Not a rain in his life. He stood there and staked everything that he had on the word of God alone. What if it hadn't rained? He would have looked like the biggest fool in the whole universe. Not only he's built something in which you cannot live, he's finished all his money building it. Could have been called the laughing stock of the ancient world. What about Abraham? Why are you here? <laughs> when I was sleeping in the hour of the Chaldeans, I heard a voice. What? Voice? Yeah, what did the voice tell you? Arise, leave your father's household and go to the land I am showing you. Did he give a location? He said, no, as you keep going, I will tell you. Where are you going? <laughs> I don't know. Do you look at these people? What did they stand on? Did they look at the consequences if didn't God didn't back up their word, his word? 
Can you imagine every day, every year, every six years, every ten years, Noah's? Lord, it's hundred years. Not a drop yet. Hundred and twenty years stood there. Think about Abraham. Today, Abraham, I'm changing your name. What's that? Abraham. Next day, you have to tell everybody, you know, if God has changed your name, you have to tell everybody, you know. Eliezer, don't call me Abraham, okay? My name is? Yes, Master, Abraham. Abraham, father of nations. Who? Father of nations. How many children does he have? And by the way, Eliezer, I forgot to tell you, come back. My wife's name is? Sarah. Do you know how they stood there? Just on the word of God. Isaac is married. Ah, what's your name, sir? Uh, my name is Isaac. Isaac? Uh, what does it mean? He laughs. Oh, that's your name. Okay. Every tent there is laughter of small children. Your tent is silent. How many years? Twenty years of your marriage. What's your name? He laughs. But he who stands on the word of God at the end will laugh. Will laugh. When you choose to obey God, you choose to obey God irrespective of the consequences because you know whom you have believed. We need to know. Till yesterday, his name was Jacob. What's your name? Jacob. Today? What's your name? Israel. What? Prince with God. Prince with man. Will we say? God says, that's your spiritual reality. Your physical reality, let people laugh. Your spiritual reality. You are a prince with God. A prince with man. Oh, I have to read scripture to understand what faith means. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known this day you are God in Israel. I am your servant that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Let me ask you the question. After he prayed all that, no fire came. What would be Elijah? He would be like the mutton chops on that altar. They would have killed him. They would have killed him. All alone, standing. 450 prophets of Baal, the whole nation of Israel, standing all alone. Lord, you know, no man has ever seen fire come down from heaven. It has never happened like this. I have done everything according to your word. I am standing on your word. If it doesn't come to pass, I am finished. But I will stand on your word. I will obey your word irrespective of the consequences. That's what he says. Paul says. First Timothy, Second Timothy, two one twelve. I know him. 
and I have believed in him. I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. That's where everything starts, right? John 3.16. What is John 3? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever why are you so afraid of your salvation? Why are you so afraid of death? Why are you so afraid of judgment? Do you know whom you have believed? That's the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation is not, I have believed in scripture. The assurance of salvation is the spirit of he has put in us. The spirit of sonship by which we cry, even when we fall, Abba, I know whose I am. I know whom I have believed. I know whose I am. I don't fear death. I don't fear death. How can who is born of God die? That's what he says. I know whom I have believed. That is where salvation begins. All the memorizing of scripture will be of no effect if you do not know the person, the person behind scripture. Once you know that person, it doesn't matter. You have this boldness to go to him because you know he is your father. He's your father. That's why what none of you here will ever do. Have you seen that young man sitting over there at the end of the service sometimes comes, drinks from my cups and goes. Why? Because he knows I am his father. But I am saying once you know your father, there is this confidence that comes concerning the future. He says, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded, absolutely convinced that he is able to keep what I have committed or entrusted into him when un. Till that day. He's not even talking about death here. Because you live in the reality not of death. You live in the reality of his second coming. Because second coming could be earlier than death. Death is destined to everybody at the end. But there is one set of people who will not die. Who will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So death is not the certainty. The certainty is the day of judgment. When you are living. When you are living, you don't prepare for death. When you are living, you prepare for judgment. That's how you look at life. That's how every generation of disciples lived in the light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says, I am. Till that day. Till that day. Have entrusted. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means I have deposited. If you go to the bank, you will see that counter, no? Behind that big steel almara. Big one. It is called safe deposit box. These days you have to wait for an year before you'll get a box. I'm entrusted. Let me ask you another question. If you're going far away for two months and you've got a good house, will you give your house to somebody whom you don't trust? Will you? Suddenly you see what he's saying. Trust is the most important facet of human relationship. 
You can love anybody, everybody. But you cannot trust everybody. You cannot trust everybody. That's what 1 Timothy 1, 2 says. 2 Timothy, true son. That's one guy I trust. I trust him. I trust you, Timothy. My true son. Loving is not so difficult. Trusting is difficult. He says, I know in whom I have, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that what I have committed, entrusted into his hands. What are you entrusting? Your entire life, past, present, future, eternity. I have trusted into his hands. He's able to keep it till the day of judgment. I know the person whom I have trusted. And that same attitude he takes to Timothy. I can trust you with what God has trusted me. In verse 13 and 14, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith, love which is in Christ, that good thing which was committed to you. Trust you, Timothy. Trust you, Timothy. Walk in that trust. Not only that, Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful for Look for trustworthy men in your congregation, Timothy. Pass it on to them. Because the gospel that saves, not that flatters, the gospel that saves has come 2,000 years ago because it was trusted into the hands of trustworthy men and women. And there were thousands of flatterers in every generation who did not have the word of life. That's what he's saying. Paul is saying, I trust God. God has trusted me. I have trusted you. You put it in the hands of trusted people who will take this word and pass on to generation to generation until the hour of his coming. So the question is, can we be trusted? Can we be trusted? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, to which he says, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. For this, this is, a, this is the format when you are sent out. You go preach the gospel, people get saved. Then you as an apostle establish a church with those who are saved. And you teach them the apostles doctrine. Then you keep on teaching them to keep grow to the maturity of Christ. Of Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Has anybody told you to be a true servant of God is equal to suffering? He says, that's why I am suffering as I am. And I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. He says, I'm not ashamed. Why should you be ashamed if you suffer for the right reason? Ask all the mothers who had babies. Were you very ashamed after your delivery? Oh, it's terrible pain. I'm so ashamed even to talk about it. No, that's the right pain. If somebody slapped you for stealing, you are ashamed even to talk about it. You are ashamed. Everyone deserted me. He said, everyone deserted me. In verse 16 and 18, 
The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. He was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Hundreds of prisons in Rome. Not like today with computer, this thing where you can go find out where your, your friend or relative is. Everybody is ashamed of Paul. Oh, Paul. Everybody is deserted him. Everybody abandoned him. The great preacher is in chain. They are all saying, good, 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 good. Not Onesiphorus. He went from prison to prison to prison to prison. Is there a man called Paul here? Paul? What does he look like? Oh, is a short man with bald hair? Can't see very well. Uh, he's a Christian. Paul, Paul, Christians here. Any Paul here? No, Paul. He searched, he searched, he searched, he searched until he found him. He said, he was not ashamed of my chains. I am not ashamed of my chains. Why I am teaching you is that you understand authentic Christianity. Where it started, how it has come down. Don't listen to all these fakes out over there. This is how the gospel has reached you and me from the beginning. Have you ever, ever heard the name Onsiphorus? How oh, we want to name our children William and Henry and all. Have you heard any child named Onsiphorus? Why? We were ashamed of that name. How can I name my son Onsiphorus if he goes to school and starts for IIT? They will call him Phosphorus. That's what we think. We are ashamed to be named after saints like this. Even there we have shame even in a name because we want it all rhyming. Paul was not ashamed of Onsiphorus. And Onsiphorus was not ashamed of Paul's chains. That's what he is talking about. We are talking about trust. Can we be trusted? Because out of that trust will come loyalty. And trust and loyalty are the most important things in the kingdom of God. That's the second part of Luke 14, 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father, mother, all that is five. And then this one, his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me. Why did he put you and me at the end? Because most of us, when we have to take decisions in life, we are loyal to ourselves and not to God. We will pick even the things of God that will bring us fame and reputation. Therefore, we are loyal to us and not loyal to him. Paul says, I am not ashamed of my chains. I am not ashamed. I'm not loyal to myself. I was loyal to him. Because I was loyal to him, I am in chains. I'm not ashamed. That's the reality. You're getting into the core of Christianity. Even the Christianity we preach and we talk about, our loyalty is to us. It is not to him. To us. We pick and choose what is convenient. We pick and choose what time to come, what time to do. Things of God, I'm not talking about anything else. We pick and choose. Why? Because we are loyal to us, not to God. Our 
trust and our loyalty is first us and then we will say I am willing to forsake father, forsake mother, forsake wife and children, brothers and sisters also. But question God says, will you forsake yourself? Will you forsake yourself? The reality, you want that confidence to face the day of judgment with joy in your hearts? Have this confidence, Paul is telling Timothy, you can have it. I know in whom I have believed. Therefore, I can also tell I have finished my race. I have fought the fight and I have kept the faith. And I see my crown because I know whom I have believed. And I was not ashamed of the chains. Are we ashamed? Are we? Because we are living like in the days of Paul. Turbulent days. Turbulent. Because if you go to places like China, you will see spectacular churches. Churches, 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 big buildings, people coming in, mass going on, sermons going on. What you don't know is the sermon first went to the Communist Party leader. He vetted the sermon and then you are preaching that. Then you will see tens and thousands of underground churches where people are gathering quietly, secretly. If you are caught, you are finished. Two churches side by side. You see that in India, North India too. One city, like in Gujarat, plenty of churches, music, dance, worship going on in the same place. Pastors being hounded and the churches being shut down because one is true, the other is fake. And they put it on their notice board. Our church is expanding. Where? The kingdom of God? He says, I am in chains because of the message I was given. Jesus, only Jesus, no other way. Do we know the day we are talking about? You saw on WhatsApp the videos? In Russia, Orthodox Church singing Om Namah Sivaya. In Spain, in the Catholic Church, people bringing Ganapati in. And last week in Kerala, in the church in Onam, the priest taking the ropes and coming, coming as Brahmin priest and giving communion with sandalwood paste on their head. Do you see what is coming? Do you see what is coming? Because the big visible church will all buckle under pressure and will become one. Then the government will say, you are the troublemakers who refuse to compromise. You are the troublemakers. They will all become one. It's called syncretism. It's happening around the world. The churches are all becoming one. All religion are the same. You don't have to stick up for Jesus anymore. So you have atheist billboards all over New York. Have Christmas without Christ. That's what we have all over India. Christmas without Christ. It is Christmas with Santa Claus, not Christ. Even in the airport, everywhere, Christmas without Christ. Do we know what we are coming? Are we ready to face what is coming? Do we have the faith to stand alone if we have to stand alone? That's what he's saying. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded absolutely 100% sure. What I have entrusted into his hands, he will keep it till the day of judgment. I put my faith in him, that person. I've entrusted God. God. What does God want you to entrust him with? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about first God entrusting him with something else, right? He says, I, I have committed to him. What does God want from you and me first? Ask Pastor Vijay, the expert on the book of Proverbs, he will tell you. Proverbs chapter 
My son, give me your heart. My son, that's the last thing we give. The first thing God demands. That's what he's saying. I know what I gave. I gave him my heart. It's not like that song, last Christmas I gave you my heart. No, not that. Next day you gave it away. You give your heart to Jesus, he doesn't give it away. The problem is you don't want to give it to him because you're keeping it for something and somebody else. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe. That's the way. If my heart is not given to God, my eyes will not see his ways. Lord, teach me your ways. God says, give me your heart. Forty years. When he was 40 years, Moses knew he was not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I am a Hebrew. Took his sword. I shall deliver the Hebrews. 40 years, he was brewing tea in the backside of a desert for his wife. Then one fire, everybody looked and went away. He turned aside to look. God said, come here. I have called you. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. God said, that's fine. You have nothing. Yeah, I have nothing. You have nothing. No, I have one stick. He said, put the stick down. Take it. So with this stick, I will bring it all out. Don't worry. Are you willing? Go. Send somebody. God got mad at him. Scripture says God so mad at him. I waited 40 years to prepare you. I mean, you're ready. You're saying, I can't go. No, I can't speak. He says, okay, you don't speak. Your brother will speak for you. My brother, yeah, he's coming to see. Oh, he's coming to see me. I saw him. I sent him. I have to look at how God has to struggle to get this man to go. And after he sees all that, he sees the hand of God. He sees, he surrenders completely. Gives his heart to this God. Brings the people out to the mountain. And then he stands before God and says, Lord, teach me your ways. God says, I can. You've given me your heart. I can teach you my ways. Otherwise, all your learning and sitting is not going to work with this word of God until you have given him your heart. Because where your treasure is, your heart is. If you ask, Paul, where is your treasure? Why? My heart is there. I lost it on the road to Damascus. Gone. Hopelessly in love. Give it to him. That's the core. Your heart is the core of your being. It is who you are. It's the heart that connects you with God and with the world. Everything is determined by the heart, not the pumping thing. What spiritually you're talking about. The heart is who you are. Whoever or whatever is in charge of your heart will ultimately direct your paths. I said ultimately. David made many, 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 many slips. But he will still finish well. Why? Because he was a man after God's heart. I'm not saying you won't sin. I'm not saying you won't fall. I don't think we'll all make major goof-ups. But if your heart is with God, God can. God can change you. Can change you. Because you will observe his ways. Self is in charge. That's the problem. Much of what we do 
even in the name of God, is for self. For self. That's why Jesus says, at the end, Matthew 7, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done wonders in your name? He says, look, dude, I don't know you. Modern language for 21st century young people. What did God say? Dude, I don't know you. Depart from me. Not that. Then he describes the state of their heart. What are you? You practice lawlessness. Your heart. You did it all for yourself. You didn't do it for me. You did it for yourself. You had power, yes, but you did it for yourself. A true disciple is someone who has consciously and personally given his heart to God. For him to God and keep forever. When we deposit our heart with God, we are depositing our lives with God. Many of you are very, very young. And you've got a whole life before you. Studies, career, marriage, family. It's all unknown. All lying in the unknown. It's like Saul on the road to Damascus. On the road to Damascus, we see, what do you want me to do in 9-5? What do you want me to do? Who are you? Who are you, Lord? First question, who are you? Answer, Jesus of Nazareth. Next question from the person, what do you want me to do? You see this, you know this is God, you get his name. Next thing you ask is, what is our question? Our question, not his question. Our question, what will you do for me? Isn't that our prayers every day? Do me, do me, do me, do me, do me, do me. What does he ask? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Honestly, turn around. Turn life completely around according to scripture. Go back home today and ask God, what do you want me to do? Even our prayers, which are very nice, are like those people. Lord, I want to do this for you. I want to do this for you. I don't want, I do want to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this for you, Lord. Please anoint me with more power. I want to do this, do this, do this. But God says, wait a second, can I speak? No, Lord, I made my list very clear. I want to do this for you. God wants to say, I don't want you to do it for me. You're not asking me the right question. What is that? What do you want me to do? Ask, try. He says in verse 6, God says, I will tell you. What does he say? It's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. Full stop. We will only read that much. Because we like that part. Lord, I wish it was written about me. He says, read the next verse also. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He says, are you Lord? I believe only in the prosperity gospel. I don't believe in this gospel, Lord. But this is the gospel. Now at the end of his life, he's looking back at his sufferings. The believer speaks, therefore he suffers. 
because what he speaks is true and only God is true. Truth by its very nature is exclusive. One name, one way. No two names, no two names. Two ways. The gospel is, what do I have to do to believe? What do I have to do? Believe. Believe what? Believe in what he has done. And repent. And that's all. Repent and believe. Yeah, one more. What is that? Get baptized. Oh, baptized. What is baptism, brother? Your funeral service. Have you ever explained that to them? What is baptism? What did you say? Sir, baptism means we put you in water. We dunk you. And we take you out. What does that mean? That means you are dead and buried. When you rise up, you no longer live. You live for him. Oh, that is it. Thank you. I like sprinkling. That's why the gospel is offense to the natural man. Because the gospel is very clear. It is the death of self. Paul was going on the road to Damascus on his horse. Going, going, going. Man, I will put all these people in. I can't think I'm 25. By 30 I will be in the Sanhedrin. And maybe by 35 I can be the high priest. Then he meets Jesus. What do you want me to do? I will tell you. What? Preach everywhere. Get beaten up everywhere. Preach to whom? These guys. Preach what? Exactly opposite to what they are preaching. Everything changed. The natural man knows that. That's why the gospel is an offense. Because each one of us want to live our lives. The call of the gospel is to live his life. That's the training. All our followers. But few end up as disciples. Chosen, called, chosen, faithful. If you were there yesterday, you would have heard another word also. What is that? You may be faithful, but you are not prophet. Do you remember the servant that hid the talent? The master came and said, where is the talent? He said, here Lord. My talent? Your talent. You didn't do anything with it? No. So was he faithful? Did he gamble it? Did he sell it and drink it? Did he waste it on women? It's a faithful man. But what does God say? You unprofitable servant, throw him out. It is not enough to be faithful by not doing the things which he shouldn't do. You need to be profitable in the kingdom by doing the things which he wants you to do. That's why he wants to be a faithful. He's already faithful. He says, according to the law, blameless. I am faithful to the law. Now I want to be profitable. What do you want me to do? Ask and be profitable in the kingdom. It's not enough in the kingdom even to be faithful. You need to be profitable to the master. Because what he has deposited into you and me is the very power that created everything and raised his son from the dead. The very spirit of God. He says, I will ask an account from every one of you. What did you do with my spirit? What did you do with my spirit? Profitable to the kingdom. Not profitable to self. 
profitable to the king and the kingdom. Ask. That's why he's asking, what do you want me to do? He didn't ask, where should I change? What do you want me to do? So this morning, we have to entrust everything into his hands and do what he tells us to do. Ultimately, we entrust Second Timothy one twelve. We not only entrust our entire life, ultimately our entire work into his hands. I know, he says, I know he's able to keep it. I know he can keep it. Look at if you are Paul. All your life, you left a rewarding career in the Sanhedrin. You followed Jesus of Nazareth. You went around the world, living, beaten, thrown in famine, in sickness and everything. You established all these churches. And in your last hour, you understand is that everybody has deserted me. I have an Onesiphorus who keeps on searching, found me. I have Luke who is with me. Uh, Christians has gone there. Titus has gone there. Demas has left me. John Mark is useful for me. He is far away. You are far away. You've lost everything. But he still says, if the work which I did was his work, it will be revealed on that day. I have trusted him with my work. Today, 2,000 years later, we sit and break our heads from Romans till Hebrews because this is the work God did through him and he has kept it till today. Can you and I say that about our work? That it will be kept till that day? Can we say? That's a legacy we leave behind. The legacy we leave behind is our work. He says, even that... I know he's able to keep. Who talks about Alexander the Great? Who talks about Akbar? Who talks about Herod? Who talks about all these people? Till today, knees bend at the epistles of Paul. Nations have come down. Nations have changed. Civilization has changed over the epistles of Paul. Why? Because the work he did, he committed into his hands. And oh Lord, when I look with my naked eyes, it's a waste. What a waste of my life. Everybody gone. Church is gone. Everybody abandoned. Churches have been taken away by other people. They have taken it all. I just have a few faithful men. But I love Lord. My work is not in vain. You will keep it till that day. How you will do it? I have no way. But I know Lord. I trusted you. I knew you. I believed you. I obeyed you. And I preached and I'm in chains. I'm not ashamed of anything. I know you will keep it till that day. That's a life well loved. Very well loved. Life well loved. Read. Go back home today. Take First Timothy and Second Timothy and go over it line by line. Listen to yesterday's four hours, five hours English Telugu. Pastor's conference. Listen to it. Paul telling Timothy. Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. End your hardship as a soldier. And 
compete as an athlete according to the rules and be a hard working farmer. Young man, listen, you want to finish well, you need to have the attitude of a soldier, an athlete and a farmer, you will do well. These are three different professions, demand three different qualities, combine it three, you are a minister of God. Finish well, Timothy. This is my last letter. Do we know? Does history say Timothy got that letter? Yes, because we have the letter to Timothy. But he tells Timothy, Timothy, come quickly. It's getting cold. Timothy, bring my coat, which I left there in Troas. Bring my coat. You think five years from now I will write? Pastor Vijay, Vijay, I am here. Bring my coat. How many coats do we have? How many shirts do we have? This is an apostle who poured out his life and he doesn't even have somebody who will give him one coat in Rome. He, Timothy, has to bring it from Troas, Ephesus. One coat. And Timothy, my parchments. My parchments. Timothy, the epistles I wrote, I had my copy, you know, bring it my own copies because I want to sit there and read while I'm in prison. I know I'm about to die. I know that. Very clearly the Lord has told me my race is over. Time has come for my departure, but that doesn't mean if I got two weeks, I want to sit here, I want to sit the word as I die. Bring my parchments. Do you see that? I'm sitting in a hole called a prison in Rome, Timothy. Get me something to warm my body and get my parchments to warm my soul and I will go. I will go. Because I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. This is the gospel. The gospel is not a method how to reach heaven. The gospel is about a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And these those who have known their person are able to sing those songs. Amazing grace. Ten thousand years I'll be still, still singing about a person Not how wonderful heaven is, how great the windows are, how smooth the roads are. No, we sing for eternity and forever and ever about this person of Christ. God says, if you know him, you can start singing now. Start singing now. You don't have to wait for that day. You can know me. We serve a God who is knowable. God who is knowable. Man, shall we stand Father, this morning, we stand before you, Lord. We are all on that way. All on that way. Some have met you. Some have known you. Some know about you. But I believe, Lord, if it was not about you, we wouldn't be in this room. We are here because we want to know you. And I pray, Father, that You will create a hunger in your people, young and old. For you say, Lord, my son, give me your heart. For the heart is the wellspring of life. Out of the heart comes out all the issues of life. Teach us like Apostle Paul to commit our heart into your hands so that what comes out 
is life. Your life, not our life. Touch, Lord. So many young ones. So many. Dreams, aspirations. Nothing wrong. But like Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, dreams, aspirations, to rise up in the Judaic world, so many here. I pray, Father, that each one would have a true encounter with the living Jesus. And then they will be true to that vision till their last day. That we will lay everything at your feet. And we'll entrust our heart into your hands, knowing you are very well able to keep it until that day. We are not ashamed of what we go through today. And we will not be ashamed of you before people. And on that day we know, Lord, you will not be ashamed of us. Help us to be a true Disciple like Paul. To be a true son like Timothy. And to be a true friend like Onesiphorus. So many true men in the crowd of fakes, Lord, in that one letter. Help us to be true men and women. Who seek after God. With all our heart. I commit this congregation into their hands. And everyone who has come for the first time, I pray that you would touch them and you would comfort them and you would meet them at their point of need. I pray, Lord, that you would make your face shine upon us because we have nothing but to reflect, Lord. In us there is nothing but you. Make your face shine upon us, Lord. What we have to give out is what we received from you. Fill us that it might overflow into the lives of others. Help us to look back at our sufferings and see your hand in all of it that the purpose was to bring us to you. And now if we are suffering for Christ, help us not to be ashamed of Christ. We commit the worldwide church into thy hands. Those who are suffering, those who are being persecuted, those who have suffered great loss in the past weeks and months and years. We are weak, but you are strong. We may not be able, but you are able. And I pray, Father, that you would reach out and touch each one of them. Comfort them, strengthen them, and meet them. The point of need, Lord. And I pray each one of us, O oh Lord, in the hour when we spend time with you in prayer, we will never forget the other prisoners who are in chain, that we'll chain ourselves to them in our hearts and we'll uphold them before you, even as you uphold us before the Father, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. See, people go into another week. May your presence go with each one of them, Lord. And may, Father, your, your eyes guide us and our eyes observe your ways, O oh Lord. Through the week, take us, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. 
Now by faith, believing in the blood of Jesus, believing in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the washing of the water by the word, we lift up holy hands and we just bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you power. For it's yours and yours alone, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.